let me welcome you this morning. We're excited to have you gather here and uh, be a part of the family. And guests, we're honored to have you, as well as those of you who are joining us online this morning. Thank you for uh, just joining us here at First Baptist. We love you, we care about you, and we know there are a lot of different places you could go and be. But uh, I believe by God's providence, God has led you here today, or to watch today. So thank you for that. This morning, I want you to take God's Word. Turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. We're primarily going to be looking at one verse today, and that is verse 29. We are continuing our series on above and beyond. And again, let me remind you, this series is really about you and I living out our position in Christ, that we don't allow the world to change us, but we're a part of helping change the world. And the only way that happens is when you and I really begin to live out of that position, that I don't think like the world, act like the world, and today we're going to really talk about talking like the world, but I've been transformed by the power of the blood of the Lamb of God. I have been transformed by His grace and His love and His mercy. And this morning, um, Paul addresses about the importance of our words, our speech, the power of the tongue, if you will, how important that is. And think about this, God took a two-ounce piece of meat, put it behind two guards, teeth and lips, and it still gets loose. Amen? It has the tendency of either building up and edifying, or it can tear down and it can destroy. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Let's look at the text if we can. Verse 29, he says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What Paul does in this passage of Scripture, he really addresses communication. He talks about the conversations that you and I have today, and it's all about the significance and the importance of words. I will tell you, words are important. They're important in your life. They're important in my life. And those words have the potential of having either a great impact upon our friends and families and those that we know, and even those that we may not even know right now. Because those words have the opportunity to either build up or certainly to tear down. I was reading in a commentary this week, and listen to this, it said, speech is a wonderful gift of God. It is one of our human characteristics, notice, which reflects our likeness to God. Have you ever thought about how that God in the animal world, if you will, uh, distinguishes you and I from all the other creation? Think about this for a moment. Cows moo, dogs bark. You know, pigs grunt, lambs bleed, lions roar, birds sing. But God has given to man the capability and the opportunity to speak with words that can do one of two things. Either it can build up and edify, or it can tear down and destroy. Paul's emphasis is upon the gift of speech. And it's amazing as you look in this text, how many other places he talk about it. Let me, let me just show you something. Look at verse 25 of this same chapter. Listen to what he says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Again, he's talking about speaking truth. Look at verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Run over, if you will, to chapter 5 and look in verse 4. This is the one that I think can probably hit a lot of us in the face. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking. How many times did you find yourself at work and somebody starts telling a story or a joke and maybe it's a little crude, maybe it's off color, you know it's not appropriate but you laugh and you join in and the next thing you know you feel like you got to tell one because you want to fit in? You ever been there before? 
You ever feel like that all of a sudden things are coming out of your mouth that you know at that moment this doesn't glorify, doesn't honor God whatsoever? So he says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let there be praise, if you will. And then look at verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody within your heart unto the Lord. Uh, our voices can either be used, as I said, to bring praise and honor and glory to the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, or those very same voices can tear down and destroy and hurt and dissimulate and do a great damage. To the Savior, words really matter. God has given value to the words that you and I speak. And I'm convinced that more than any other time, especially in the days and times in which you and I are living, we need to think carefully about what we say and how we say it. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it really is a passage of Scripture that can protect you and garrison your heart and the words that you speak that are what we call careless words. I was reading this week that literally on an average, now again, you got to think about this, on an average, you and I will speak 25,000 words in a day. Some of you do a lot more than that, amen? Some of you do a lot less than that, okay? But I'm just saying, on an average, this is what they say, we use about 25,000 words a day. Think about how they impact. Think about the difference that they make. Do they show grace, as we're going to see in a few moments? Or do they show only judgment? Do our words encourage or do they tear down? In this passage of Scripture, there are three things that Paul brings to the surface to really talk about encouragement. And that's the thing I love about this passage of Scripture because even though he reminds us the importance of our words, he says your words have value. They have significance. And they, these words can be used to bring encouragement. So as a child of God, what comes out of my mouth, what comes out of my heart, ought to be words of encouragement. So let's look at what he says. First of all, he says an encouragement is the effect of edifying words. In this passage of Scripture, here is a command. Notice it's not a suggestion, it's not a recommendation, but rather it is a command from God. Look at verse 29. He says, let no, and then he addresses this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's not a suggestion. That's not, well, think about it. No, this is a command that comes from God. But then notice what he says, but only. But only words that build, only words that edify, only words, as you're going to see, that shows great. And what Paul does, he employs the contrast to define and describe this command. Don't speak like this, but you ought to speak like this. In a sense, it's kind of what Paul addresses over in chapter 4 when he talks about putting on the new and taking off the old. So in other words, again, don't speak like this, but you ought to speak like this. Now notice what he does. He begins, first of all, with speech that you and I might call forbidden. Listen to what he says. Let no unwholesome or corrupting speech or words proceed from your mouth. That's an amazing word because the, the word corrupt literally is a word that describes food that has become rotten. It is decaying. Do you understand that the words that you and I speak they can either be words that are like decaying words that are rotten to the core, if you will, that are spoiled. And in this passage, he says, listen, he wisely, don't, don't miss this, he wisely tells us, you and I are forbidden to talk this way. Why is that? 
Why does he describe it this way? What, what is he saying that all of our words do what? They communicate. And either they're going to detour you and I from spiritual growth and maturity and helping others to grow and become all that God wants them to be. In other words, it's either going to hinder or help those relationships that we have. It ha either your words can have a corrupting effect upon the soul of others or those words can also be edifying and building up. So think about this. If you and I are speaking on an average 25,000 words each day, how are they characterized? Are they characterized by these are words that bring life or do they bring death? The writer of Proverbs said it this way, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Just think about it. Death or life is in the power of the tongue. How we speak. Not only how we speak, but how we also react. Ephesians 4.29 echoes this verse. He says that your words penetrate, they spread. That's why you and I often need to stop and inspect the words in which we say. In other words, you got to stop and think about it before you say it. Because they penetrate, they have an effect upon others. And, and notice something else when he, when he talks about it in this passage. Look at verse 29. For edification or building up. Do you understand that within itself is the very nature of encouragement? Words that build, words that encourage the soul, words that edify, if you will, the soul. So if he uses this terminology, edifying words, and let's ask the question, what are edifying words? Well, let me describe you what they are not. First of all, they're not just simply polite words because you want to be nice. They're not superficial words, Okay. In other words, just kind of put the mask on. You don't really mean it, but you just say them. So what are edifying words? Catch this. Edifying words are words that reveal the character and the promises and the activity of God. Let me say that again. Edifying words reveal the character and the promises and the activity of God. In other words, they are God-centered words that reveal, hang on to your seat, the character of God in you and in me. So that's why the Apostle Paul is able to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this is a command. This is a command from the Father. We are to build up. We're to use words that edify, that encourage, if you will. The Bible tells us that God is at work in every soul Every person that has been regenerated, that's been born again. And what happens is you and I have the privilege as well as the joy to bring attention to where we see God working in their life. Isn't it amazing how it is so easy for probably the majority of us to become more critical of a person when they're failing and they've messed up. And you've heard me say countless times that we're all one choice away from stupidity. So it's easy to point out the failures and the stupidity in somebody's life. Why is it that we don't, when we see God at work in their life and see God doing wonderful things in their life, that we come alongside to encourage them and say, man, I see Jesus in you. I see where you're walking with him. I see, I see Jesus in you. I, I see a transformation that's happened in your life. But oh, we are so easy and quick to tear down. And we're a lot less about building up. God is at work, and when God is at work in someone's life, we get to draw attention, and we get to celebrate that soul and that lifelong relationship. We have the privilege, don't miss this, of giving grace to people, of building them up through our words. Now, when you think about corrupt talk, what is corrupt talk? Well, it's the fruit of pride. 
edifying words are the fruit of a heart that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when there is this absence of edifying words, normally it's the presence of self-righteousness. We want to make it about ourselves. Because those who are proud sometimes, or most of the time, to be honest with you, are so preoccupied with themselves and they think so highly of themselves that they don't even notice or even care about the activity of God in somebody else's life. So let me ask you, have you been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that even your speech has been transformed as well? Are you truly concerned about others and wanting to help a person grow in their walk and relationship with God? Let me give you a truth. I want you to jot this down. When you examine your words, you discover your heart. It shows the character of Christ in you. It reveals a heart that has been changed and transformed, or a heart that hasn't been changed and transformed. Do we understand and realize this morning that our tongue, listen church, it gives evidence of a transformed heart. And it is the hinge upon which the door of our soul swings open and wide for others to see. Our words, to some degree, are like so many media people rushing to file their report upon the condition of our soul. And those words reveal a condition of our heart. So what kind of report do your words and my words give about our heart, about our soul? Are they words that are encouraging, lifting? Are they words that edify? Are the words that tear down? Second truth, encouragement is the effect of appropriate words. Notice in verse 29 again, but only such a word that is good for what? Edification. Or you might say, as it fits the occasion. In other words, my commitment must be appropriate to the occasion of the person that I'm trying to encourage. Now, now let me show you something. All of us have been there before, especially those of you that have the nature of, and the tendency to always want to help and solve problems. So what happens is you see somebody messing up, maybe because they made the wrong choice in their life, and you see a struggle in their marriage, you see where they're struggling in their soul or their heart, and they're kind of beginning to live more like the flesh than they do the spirit. We have a tendency, because we want to help and solve, and people like that, is that you don't wait on God to open the door, you go kick the door open. You ever been there before? Listen, I have done that before. Maybe because I love and care so much about this person, I'm seeing they're, they're, they're headed down a journey and they're on a pathway that's to devastation, home, family, marriage, career, whatever it may be. And, and because I love them and care about them, there have been times I have rushed in and kicked the door open. And you know what? It was a mess. You know why? Because I didn't wait on God. I didn't let God prepare their heart and I didn't let God prepare what I needed to say to them. So when I got on the other side, I'm going, oh, man have i messed up and you can tell you can tell by the conversation they're not receptive all of a sudden it gets worse and before it gets better and so one of the things you've got to understand is when it comes about speech and talking and even correction and we're going to see this in just a moment is you've got to show grace and you got to show hope in other words you've got to pause enough and long enough to understand that probably there's a much deeper need that's going on in their life than what you only see on the surface so the question is, what do they need? And what do they need now? For instance, do they need counsel? Do they need to be exhorted? Do they need to be corrected? Do they need to be warned? Do they need to be comforted? Do they need to be forgiven? 
what's going on in their life. First Thessalonians 5.14 says this, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and boy, here's the big one, be patient with everyone. So stop and think. So let me ask you a question this morning. Who has God right now seated before you right now in this season in their life that maybe they're experiencing the test of adversity, maybe they're experiencing the test of prosperity, I don't know. But God has put you in their life to encourage, maybe to give counsel, maybe some encouragement, maybe some discipline, I don't know. But the question that I want to ask you is this, are you willing to wait on God for the appropriate time for all of that to take place? Sometimes you have to restrain your speech, because if you don't, you're going to speak out of the flesh rather than out of the Spirit. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way, to make an apt answer is the joy to a man, and a word in season fits the occasion, and the appropriate word, how good it is. In other words, wait on God. Probably the best way to define it is think before you talk. Third principle. Encouragement is the effect of purposeful words. Do they have a purpose? Are they purposeful? Listen to what he says in verse 29. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Isn't it amazing how much is packed in one little verse? Because in this verse, he literally shows us the biblical purpose of every interaction and every conversation that we're to have. What is that conversation always to have at the heart of it? It is to give grace to those who hear. Do we do that today? When we begin to speak into people's lives, do we give grace because we all need grace? Do you understand there is no one in this room today and no one watching online this morning that doesn't need more grace? I don't know about you. I need grace, 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 grace. And God has literally created the church, the body of Christ, that when we gather together corporately or we're together in small groups, that we can give each other grace. And yet I've seen in the church so many times where we're the worst at it. We want to tear down. We want to build rather than building up. We want to rip somebody because they've done something wrong or made a stupid choice or done something or maybe their marriage is falling apart. We want to rush in and boy, we want to tell them all that's wrong with their life, but we never give them grace. Listen to me. Edifying words are appropriate words. They are words that have a purpose to give grace. Grace to those who hear. And everybody needs grace. We need to be able to have discernment to think about and pray through what grace do they need. You say, what do you mean? Didn't grace all inclusive? Well, let me show you about grace. If somebody here is, is condemned or they become more legalistic, let's say, in their thinking, then I want to give justifying grace to their soul. If someone here is struggling with sin within their life, I want to bring that sanctifying grace into their soul. If somebody is now experiencing untold suffering, I want to bring that comforting grace 
to their soul. If somebody is just weary and tired and they're experiencing a burnout, I want to bring that sustaining grace to their soul. And it goes on and on and on and on. Grace is, is a powerful word and it's an unbelievable word, but there are things that people may need in that grace that are different for the occasion. So God wants us to give grace to those who hear through each and every interaction that you and I have, whatever it may be. So the question is, do we know how to impart the grace? So what God does, God promises that when you speak, and you speak words that are edifying and appropriate, they give grace. Here's a question for all of us. Do our conversations today with others in some way or another demonstrate grace? Now you say, well, what do you do about when you need to show discipline or correction? And the Bible talks about that. Well, I want you to understand that before you correct somebody, you need to understand and prepare your heart. How do you do that? Well, have you prepared your heart to give grace? Doesn't mean that you avoid the correction. Hear me. Doesn't mean that you trim the truth in the correction. It just means that you have prepared your heart and your soul to understand that they may need grace. But listen to me, not only grace but hope. Did you hear me? Too many times we are ready to give discipline and correction, but we don't give the hope. How many times have you known somebody that had an affair on their spouse? And I mean... You want to rush in and you want to correct them and you want to get in their face and say, man, do you understand what you're doing to your family? And yes, that is all true and all this. But what happens is we fail to give them hope that, you know what? Yeah, you made a dumb, stupid choice in having the affair. But if you are broken and God has shown you that is sin and you're willing to confess that sin, there is hope and there is healing and you can be forgiven. Amen? You see, somewhere we forget. Somebody does something really stupid, sinful. Somewhere we also have to give grace and show hope. All of us fail. All of us stumble. All of us at some time or another, we are going to do something that is stupid and idiotic, and it breaks the very heart of God. But somewhere we've got to understand that God shows us grace and mercy and love, and we can change. We can be healed. We can be forgiven. And that's why Paul says these words that we speak can do one of two things. They either can build a person up or push them so farther down that they run from God. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're a Christian and you know you messed up. Somewhere you know that. And you need to hear the wonderful hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9, listen to what he says. Boy, don't miss this. If we confess, he's writing this to, the, to Christians. If we confess, you know what the word confess means? To agree with. God, I agree with you, it's sin. I'm not going to technicolor it. I'm not going to call it what it's not. It is sin. If we confess our sin, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us, I love this, of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, if that don't make Baptists shout, nothing will. Amen? Because we all mess up. 
We all sin. But when God shows you that it is sin, here's the hope. If I confess, if I agree with God that it is sin, hallelujah, man, he forgives. Doesn't stop there. Look in chapter 3, verses 1 and through 3. Listen to what he says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we will what? We're going to be like him when we see him. There's going to come a day I'm no longer going to struggle with sin because I'm going to get a glorified body in heaven. But until that time, I live in this world, and I don't need to act like the world. I don't need to talk like the world. I don't need to get into conversations like the world does. You and I need to be showing the grace and the hope, and that's what he's reminding us of here. But what about if you're lost? Is there hope for you? You better believe there is. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the thing I love about the gospel There's always hope. There's always hope. No matter how dark the pages of your life may be, no matter how many times you've made those dumb, stupid choices and decisions in your life, there's always hope. And God has called you and I as Christians, listen to me, to take these 25,000 words that we use every single day in a conversation and somewhere in the midst of that, that we are scattering the message of grace and love and hope, that we build up and not tear down, that we use this mouth to bring glory and honor to the King. All of us know we're living in an ever-changing world, and the only hope for this world is Jesus. And the only Jesus some people are ever going to see is the Jesus they see in you. Think about when you're sitting in those conversations at work and the conversation gets a little off-colored. Do you laugh? Do you join in? Do you got to think of something you got to say? Don't let any unwholesome words come around. It's, it's a battle. All of us are there. But it's one that we deliberately choose to say, God, today, fill my mouth and my heart and my words that bring glory and honor to you. That today you may be glorified. Let's stand. Father, I come to you this morning, and Father, I know and recognize that, man, this is a message that affects all of us because I know there have been times that my speech didn't glorify you. Father, I ask you for forgiveness. Father, I pray today that you'll help us to think about the power of the words, the power of the tongue, to edify, to build up. Sometimes we get into the gossiping mode and we start telling things and saying things about others. It doesn't build up, it doesn't edify, it just tears down. So, Father, I pray that today as believers that we'll understand the significance of our words at home, to our spouses, to our children. We'll understand the significance of our words at the workplace, in school, at play. 
and just help us to pause and to think about them. Do they build? Do they edify? Or do they destroy and tear down? I pray today that the words that will come from those hearts that need Jesus will be, Father, forgive me. <laughs> come into my life and save me. For those that you're calling to be a part of this church, of not coming to say, man, I just want to move a letter. No, I want to come to positive life. I want to come join the hands and the hearts of the people here in this family to be a part of building the kingdom. Whatever the decision is today, speak to our hearts. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.